Hey, welcome to Good Money Season 2, everybody. This is the show where you hear that the problem of all economic ills is rooted in the vices and all solutions. Rooted in the virtues, baby. Oh, man. Just simple as that. Welcome to the second season. We didn't think we'd be here. We thought we'd crash and burn after the first, but by the <laughs> grace of God and your generous support, yeah. we're back, baby. <laughs> We're back to, to light a flame to this whole world. Um, you know what? I think one thing that we, we'll just kind of say real quick mm. is that last season was really kind of a special thing um, for Mark and me uh, as well. Like it helped clarify a lot of thinking for us. Yeah. Our lives changed a lot. You got rid of your um, horse farm yeah. in, in had to southern go. Australia. It was holding me back. It was one of those investments where I made it not caring about the Australians mm -hmm. without even praying for the horses. And I realized, you know, I really can't be doing that. And, and you did it. So I killed every one of those horses, <laughs> turned them into glue. Divestment, baby. <laughs> you know what? But in brighter news, the College of St. Joseph the Worker is never going to have to pay for glue ever. That's right. You we know? got it. On lock. for us. Uh, and <laughs> Sorry. In all seriousness. Apologies to everyone back home. <laughs> in all seriousness, it really was kind of a, 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 a great conversation for us to have. Just, you know, even, yeah. even if nobody else was li listening in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, our lives really did change a lot through it. And um, we were yeah, really Yeah, Jacob inspired. got a lot poor. I did. Yeah, it was kind of amazing. I didn't really I get poor, but... <laughs> I mean, a lot of these principles are great when you don't have money. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense that you should do that. <laughs> but, new, I mean, okay, you know, it's, it's a tough show. We get it. Good Money is a tough show because we're the only financial sh uh, advice show, mm -hmm. as far as I can tell, that promises you less money yeah. <laughs> and more friends. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> so I don't know how we're still on the air. Oh, wait, it's because we get to decide these things for ourselves. Now. That's yeah. really great. Yeah. It's we nice. don't even have ads on YouTube. That's <laughs> that would yeah. be simony if to have ads on YouTube. Oh, would it? Well, we'll we're going to talk about that episode. Yeah. Episode, sure. Next episode. <laughs> uh, just we'll kind of lay out a few of the quick claims of the show. Yeah. And then you hit into our topic today of, um, you would do you would go you would be excommunicated let's call it this show this you'd be excommunicated for doing this uh, you know, oh that's oh uh click here to find out what it is exactly clickbait baby oh yeah all right we're doing it we're doing it. we gotta get a picture of you like what <laughs> and me like anathema <laughs> That anathema finger. That's what that really is. You know, the, the, the next world, finger of father. Yeah. The world is getting infantile. Not that this is the topic. It's just like, man, you open up YouTube and there's just like all these pictures of grown men being like, look at me here. I am monkey. <laughs> Click upon video. It's terrible. And it works. It does. Yeah, I am still an infant. We will. Pro we promised that we will treat you like adults and give you large yellow text. I'm making a commitment here. <laughs> yeah. Don't make any connection to Curious George, please. Yeah, uh, yeah that's right. The, uh, main, the main points of the show. Okay, I, one I, of them yeah, go ahead. is that the only way that we're going to have a better economy yeah. is by having better people, totally. not different systems. If you think gotcha. about it, here's, here's the argument in short. Mm -hmm. Something that you and I have talked about um, quite a bit. That there are three modes of love. You know, there is love that you don't have it's not in your possession it's unfulfilled and you won't get it and that creates sadness yeah there's there's love that you have real hope of achieving it but it's, you don't have it yet and that creates desire mm. 
And then there's love that is fulfilled, and that's unity, mm. you know? So desire is actually, excuse me, a people, second part of this argument, a people group together based upon what they love. Yeah. You know, if I, if I really love uh, coffee, then I'm going to buy a coffee machine. If we collectively love coffee as a community, then we're going to, you know, start a roasting company. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a coffee house in the middle of town that we prioritized that over other things that we could have created in our society. Totally. That what we love, what we desire, what we hope to obtain in our desire, yeah. we ultimately create a means for. Desire has its strategies. Yeah. Desire creates systems so as to obtain certain ends. Love makes babies and institutions. There you go. <laughs> I want a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> we're, we're just talking about institutions here. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. This is not the gender podcast. That's coming next. That's coming yeah. next. All right. Um, so yeah, we, the, our world looks like our loves. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So yeah, you yeah. can't just change systems and hope for different responses. You yeah. actually have to change your loves yeah. so that you then create different systems totally. to achieve those different ends that yeah. you have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and we talk about this a lot that there's not going to really be hope in just changing the tax code and having a sort of bureaucratic management of the economy of just letting uh, the you know tweaking the market here and there i mean all of these things only have relevance when they're done by people who are led by virtue oriented towards the good in mind then they have the uh, the means to build up those institutions on the basis of a real love of friendship a real love of christ mm -hmm. if we simply say all right we can be horrible scumbags as we are and you know, simply have a, a system in which our horrible scumbaggery plays out like billiard balls upon the pool table and ends up in, in the kingdom of heaven, we're insane. I mean, we should just go dunk our heads in pasteurized milk. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> That's a death sentence, it man. Is. It's, it is. Especially if you're there for a long, like... Oh, you, yeah. You know you can drown hours, in yeah. just two inches of pasteurized milk? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I read it. I read an article from MIT professors. Yes. They did this. So, yeah. so people, not systems. People's not systems. And if you want systems, you got to have virtuous people. Yep. And the, in the Christian tradition, offers us certain virtues yep. that are particularly oriented to the proper use of money. It's true. Money is not some kind of neutral sphere where you have your Christianity on one side, and then when you got a fifty dollar bill, you're just just like everyone else. <laughs> there's a pagan use of money, and there's a Christian use of money. The yep. Christian use of money. Um, builds up towards the production of certain virtues in the soul, that mm -hmm. is, habits of action whereby we are disposed to do the good thing, like it's right there on the tip of our tongues. And we become a certain kind of people, mm -hmm. or a certain kind of person, and therefore a certain kind of people through having certain kind of habits. Mm -hmm. So habits produce character. You spell it with a K, and it's Greek, character. <laughs> and it means an impression, a stamp. You get stamped by your habits. And, you know, Aristotle, I don't know that he said this, but in high school, on the back of people's, like, shirts they'd wear for being on, like, the tennis team, they'd have Aristotle saying, uh, you, you are, are what you... you repeatedly do. Yep. Seems right. Like tennis? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah that's you, you're a tennis man. Yeah, 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 yeah. but they were much more high fluting than I was. Well... I just said, like, just do it or something like that on the back <laughs> of my shirt. But. So the um, the money is, is a means 
um, in this sense, for our sanctification, for becoming a certain kind of people. Mm -hmm. and, and the problem with modernity is that we've rejected it as such. We've made money into this, I mean, it sounds a lot like the rest of liberalism, a sort of neutral tool, a sort of technology that Christians can use and pagans can use, and we can all just use, and it's, it, it, it doesn't really mean, it's just about what our intentions are with it. Yep. And that there's no actual um, form for the use of money that makes someone holy. Yeah, the pattern and order of your monetary life is no different from anybody else's, just your intentions Which is inside literally of it. what the, the libs say about like political life, right? That, yeah. that you enter into this neutral space, you make these political decisions, mm -hmm. you make arguments based on natural law, and then, you, and then you kind of come back to your Christianity having engaged in this thing we call politics, which mm -hmm. is essentially a, uh, a, a hanging up of your Christianity on the door to do like enlightenment reason. You know, it's the same with money. In fact, there's a reason why money and politics seem to go together. And it's not just because politicians are greedy scumbags. Shouldn't use that word twice. Let's call them something else. Um, avaricious, um, uh, uh, trash bags. Avaricious, <laughs> av avaricious trash bags. And not even the scented kind. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because money, money and politics, both in, in liberal states presume a, a godless world that they're they are like our little gateways into godlessness it's like well we want to be godless well then we should deal with money or politics so that's what you get money and power baby so we like to talk about here what else we said we said all these things and more i'm sure yeah and i think we can kind of hit on, on some of them along the way but um you know kind of the major claims of the church is that money has is a placeholder and therefore yeah, you should right. always know what you're holding a place for uh, that money is always for doing good. Jesus tells us what the purpose of money is for in Luke's gospel. He, he says, it. he said that the iniquitous mammon make friends with iniquitous mammon. That yeah. was his line. And to be you know? clear for those who only have just heard this, you don't make friends with iniquitous mammon. Like you're not taking iniquitous. I don't mammon make home. friends with Mark like in that way, right? <laughs> yeah, I you're, utilize Mark as an you're, instrument you're, you're to not, make friends with somebody else. <laughs> You're not taking iniquitous mam mammon home and like hanging out and watching. Um, what do people watch? Better Call Saul. They watch that. Is that a show? It is. Cool. And no, it's that you use iniquitous mammon. The only the only uh, justification for it is that at the end of the day, you use it in such a way that you end up with more friends rather than less. That baby is capital gains. <laughs> Can you tell? I don't know what capital gains is, so I'm no, not I can't. sure. I think that's perfect. If the metaphor works, yeah, cool. yeah. All right, forget those capital gains. Get those. Those friend, I'm gonna work on it. Oh well, yeah. Uh, and also, this is just kind of a fun fact. We'll talk about this at some point. But um, Saint Thomas Aquinas actually collected the uh, sayings of a number of church fathers on what iniquitous mammon meant. Nice. And he found that all of them meant just money, plain just money. It didn't cool. refer to like ill-begotten gains yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. It's just only meant money, according to like Ambrose and Augustine and Gregory and himself, you know. So, Tommy. Tommy's yeah. always one step ahead of the game. Yeah. That's you why... ask a question, he has an answer. That's right. That's <laughs> why he's the, he's the golden doctor. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and the other, maybe we can end here, uh, end our, end our uh, sort of summary of things and get into the meat. Um, not the potatoes. Let's just do the meat today. Come on. Yeah. Um, Medium rare. Which is to say that... Heavily salted. <laughs> Little paprika. <laughs> As Christ said, you are the paprika of the earth. <laughs> if, if we're not having fun then we're not doing it right. Yeah. 
And I think what it fundamentally comes down to is when we look around this world, both in the terms of its inequalities where people are simply don't have money and other people have most of the money and most of the wealth, which is like the, the major problem. But we also have just a bored people. We have a people who are scared of everything. We have people mm. who are at the age of 19 worried about retirement instead of worried about how they are going to make the world amazing. We have a complete loss of innocence about money. Like money becomes something where good people um, feel obliged to become skeezy just because money is involved. Like this is a, this is a temptation that afflicts all of us. And generally speaking, we have a, a seriousness about money where it has become, it's been given undue, I say homage, undue attention, um, undue care. The point, if we could get one thing across with good money is that we're supposed to be free. And that the freedom that comes from seeing money as a placeholder rather than as any kind of end in itself is precisely that you're now back in communion with reality, with the things of the world. Mm -hmm. What does your $20 mean? It means that sandwich. That's an expensive sandwich. It means that... Or a really good one. Yeah, okay. It means that really good sandwich mm -hmm. that you're going to get. And, and the Christian is the one for whom the goods of this earth, the goods of his neighbors, the friendships he has... The reality of the land, the reality of ownership, the reality of this world is is predominant. Money is translucent to the world. The world shines through it, and you just go after the world through it. This might be kind of vague, but I think it's, it's for me, been been the most fundamentally freeing thing, mm -hmm. is that once it takes this secondary subordinate status to reality, um, and, and that can really happen if we stop just trying to accrue it. Mm -hmm. Like if you, if, if you just stop trying to amass money, then money naturally simply becomes what it can get. Uh, the world returns, you get innocence back. You have, um, way more fun and that's important. <laughs> it's important to have fun because the Christian life is a fulfilled life. It's a life most in contact with reality. Uh, and reality is good. Guess what God says? He says it's really good. <laughs> and I buy it. I believe it. <laughs> so, anyways, the point is that sometimes we get lost in a lot of the details. There's a lot of, um, we're thinking about a lot of different rules. I don't think, you know, we don't think you should be investing in the stock market. We think 401ks are kind of weird. We think that saving for retirement generally is iffy. We think that, what else do we think? We think things. <laughs> <laughs> that our modern insurance systems are messed yeah, up. Yeah, insurance is yeah. a, a blood-sucking plagiarism of a previous... Um, previous organization of friends to support each other as our as our compadre will benares put out in mm. his article the perversions of modern insurance a good one read it <laughs> um so we think all these things but when it fundamentally comes down to why are we tackling all these things why are we just being mean about insurance why are we being mean about the stock markets because these are uh prophylactics <laughs> that's that's really? weird they're okay. <laughs> little caps they're little they're little uh you know um, devices that the world gives us to kind of keep us out of touch with reality, to keep us dealing with money um, mm -hmm. and, and trying to amass securities as opposed to living in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Right now. Not, not after retirement, but right now. Yeah, I mean, the problem in a sense with using money to make friends is that when you have friends, you're super vulnerable. That's true. I mean, that's the whole point of it is that you're actually, souls are uniting. It's not just willing the good of the other, but willing union with them. Yeah. And, and that is a vulnerable world, you know, totally. created there. So money isn't as vulnerable. It creates 
more concretized systems, things that you can depend on in a way that's not as scary because it's not personal. Yeah. Um, so there's for a time. For a time. So they, they freeze all your bank accounts. <laughs> and then you got no friends. <laughs> and your bank account is icy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happened to you last week. Yeah. And, um, the government. We, we, G-U-V-M-N apostrophe T, government. Mar-a-Lago was raided. Mark's bank account was frozen. It's frozen. Yeah. It's terrifying. It's like all $4 in there. Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> hey. Not after that, that big glue divestment. <laughs> <laughs> so what we want to talk about today, because we've got a whole new season, okay. and they might be thinking, well, you've discussed... Everything, at least anyone that's following along with Aquinas and recognizing that we're just ripping off of him yeah. <laughs> for sordid gain is going to say, well, you did all the virtues that I can see. And so what the heck are you talking about now? We're, we're moved to the Franciscan tradition. This, this, you know, St. Thomas gave us a lot of virtues. The Franciscans gave us Got even more, more virtues, you yeah. know, but we're not going to get there yet. We're going to There's probably a lot more virtues than people have written down. Is that fair to say? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Or, you know, all it's the virtues just are like just a... different modes of love. <gasps> As Augustine once wrote. Augustine did right there. Yeah. It's so true. Um, but, you know, you know, uh, the dad of New Polity, Andrew Willard Jones, King Willard, uh, said to us, you know, said, hey, you know, we went up to him one day last year and we said, hey, dad, you know, what do you think about our series? He goes like, dude, you never. Dude, you ne stop calling me dad. He's yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> he said, dude, you never did tithing. Tithing. Why didn't you do tithing? And we were like, oh my gosh, we didn't do tithing. So. We're going to hit tithing over the head. Tithing is an interesting one. Tithing comes in the Old Testament. Yep. Deuteronomy. Well, actually, Jacob, it's before that. It's oh Genesis. Oh, my gosh. Well, it is Genesis. So You're right. uh, Abraham kicks some major butt, and um, kings of Sodom and Gomorrah flee, uh, and then he gets all of the goods, the booty, Mm. Can we have an episode on booty? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot in governing the, the, the distribution of booty. All right, that's stupid. Uh, Abraham like then comes on up to Melchizedek, mm -hmm. that mysterious figure flitting about the Old Testament. Kind of a Tom Bombadil in my mind. And he says, <laughs> um, well, Melchizedek blesses him. Blessed be Abraham by God most high, maker of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. I think that's awesome. It's very mysterious. But there seems to be, obviously, you know, Genesis is not about justifying itself. It's not there to say, and here's why he gave him a tenth of everything. Mm -hmm. But it's really cool to have it rooted in a narrative, both because then it's later, as you're going to point out, going to become law. Mm. But it also shows that there's a certain um, just leap of the heart towards things considered priestly. So what I mean is the first thing that you see in Genesis is that when we talk about tithing, we, we're talking about a response to holiness. We're talking about a response to the uh, presence of God's activity on earth and yeah. through the mediation of people. So the tithe is something related. It's not something that, as I think you'll discuss, can simply be taken over by, you know, other institutions of power, mm -hmm. but has a kind of right from the beginning, at least as far as Genesis is concerned, an intrinsic relation to priesthood. Yeah, that's no, that's exactly right. And, and the only reason why kings of this earth later on were able to kind of poach upon tithing is because there was just that natural proclivity towards reaching for 
holiness and reacting to it. Um, you mean you know. in the Middle Ages? or Oh, no, I mean like in Mesopotamia oh, or oh, oh, sure, you know, yes. Babylon or whatever. Well, you know? I was thinking, mm-hmm. and we don't have to go too far down this rabbit hole, but it, it, there's, lots of, um, there's lots of fighting in the Middle Ages about who the tithe goes to. And this is one of those things where it's very, very hard for modern people to understand that the mm. king had some kind of sacral role, some kind of priestly mediating yeah. role. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, it was still not the same as the priesthood. So it was always under contention yeah. whenever the priest, whenever the king, I'm thinking of uh, Spain in particular, I'm forgetting which region, um, would be fighting with the bishops over who got the people's tithe. But that'll make more sense a little later. Let's keep going through Sweet. the... Yeah, through the narrative, the biblical narrative here. Well, you you do find tithes you know, like in and around the kind of the the writing of the Old Testament, and so yeah. there is not only just Abram reaching out towards holiness, reacting to it, yeah, but also this is just the done thing for priests yeah. at the time, yeah, you know. Yeah. And what you find in the law is that it gets borrowed, like so much of the old law gets borrowed from what was happening totally. surrounding Israel. But oftentimes there's a little bit of a change yeah, that happens. Because they're being pulled out of the nations, which both presumes that they are like unto the nations. Yep. Um, but then that they're going to be a light to the nations, so something different. Yep. So God's taking what is so that it's recognizable, sanctifying it so that it then is more perfectly itself. It's perfect. It's like taking a kid who only likes chicken nuggets and just putting a little bit of paprika on them. So he's got what's familiar. And now he's check, you know, he's getting the spicy difference too. You are the paprika of this earth. What happens in declarations in Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy is that the tithe really speaks about one tenth. Yeah. But particularly as Deuteronomy fourteen twenty two says, is that we are to set aside, or the, the ancients were allowed, were to set aside a tenth of all your fields produce each year. It was particularly um, a, t- a tithe of in kind is what we say. It's of real things, yep. not of money, yep. ironically. And Leviticus, ironically enough, says that if you do want to tithe in money, yep. then you're going to have to add 20%. Yep. So all of a sudden it's not 10%, it's 12 of whatever you have produced or procured for the year. Yeah, so there's an active resistance to it becoming a monetary uh issue yeah and this is something we've we've talked a lot about is that as soon as a centralizing entity asks for one thing back in tax or in tithe that generally starts to spur on that object as a medium of exchange yeah it it starts to become more ubiquitously money you know yeah Um, money is a medium of exchange the more that it's demanded uh, the more widely it's the more it's demanded by a central authority, the more widely it's used amongst other people because right. you need it. You right. need it to pay the gods or then you need it to pay the state. And that's certainly the case in the ancient world. That was a technique of theirs. And it was something that Leviticus identified and admonished against actually yeah, 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 and created yeah. a new law to kind of push away from, yeah, from you, that ubiquity. You centralize the unit of exchange, you centralize power. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything that's clear about the Israelite uh, difference from the nations that they're, they're under all sorts of constraints so that they don't end up under these kind of Babylonian-esque uh, sovereign powers. Yeah. And you, know, and you see a lot of that change, and we'll go into that here, but actually throughout um, 
Israelite history, the movement from tithes in kind to tithes in monetary, um, in a monetary base, is something that some writers actually have demarcated during that period as is the collapsing of the spirituality, the true spirituality of, yeah, of Israel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's some really, really interesting articles written about that as, as Galilee, you know, was so excited always to bring their tithes to the temple. And yet the Pharisees started to wag their fingers at them and say, you backwards Galileans modernize you, you know, and yeah, just bring money. So that happens. But, you know, but more importantly, there's the question of like, are we still obligated to tithe today? And um, there's kind of a roundabout way of answering this question. But I think the first thing that we really need to hear is Jesus' words on this. Because we often, I, I hear today, a lot of people saying, hey, there was a tithe back then. But now, you know, Jesus, you know, fulfilled the law. So we don't have to adhere yeah, to it anymore. Tithing, yeah. um, tithing is off the table. And therefore, you just do what you can, you know, yeah. do what you can. But do what you can is actually a phrase that kind of comes out of Second Corinthians. But it, in the way that it's said today, it's almost like, don't worry about going too hard. It's almost yeah. an easing up, you know, totally. taking your foot, you know, off the accelerator a little bit. But what Christ says in Luke eleven forty two, he's he's you know condemning the Pharisees again, but. A little bit differently because he gives them some credence he says woe to you pharisees for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of god these you ought to have done without neglecting the others mm. which is crazy he says you know you're you know like you're tithing out of your spice rack bro yeah. you know and you ought to be yeah right, right right this is a completely you know different message than what is often heard today is like letting your foot off the gas, you know, type yeah, thing, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's doubling down saying you ought to do this, but you should do it from the place of a true love for God, true love for neighbor. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, it's a, it's a sad state of affairs when the freedom of the new law is taken to mean as simply, simply a license to not care about God anymore. But that seems to be one of the characteristics of American Christianity. It's like, <laughs> well, I'm free now to not care. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And there's a truth to it, right? Like we are not um, under the letter of the law, but we are under the spirit of the law, right? The reason for tithing, as I think in some ways you've already pointed out, is because, and this is so clear when you're giving in kind, because everything is God's gift, yeah. right? It, it comes from God. So to give back what belongs to God precisely to the active work of God in the world, namely through his priests... Um, is a response to the fact that it was given to you anyways, that it all is a gift, um, that you don't have this kind of mercenary, mercenary, mercantile claim on the thing. Um, and it's a teaching thing, right? It teaches mm. us to be, um, well, I think we're going to say a lot about it. But the new law is fulfilled in Christ so that we do more, not less. So you consider this in, in something like the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like yeah. there's a law against adultery. Jesus doesn't come and say, well, that was the old thing. Now you're free to do what you want. Obviously not. And he doesn't also simply say, well, now you need to not commit adultery out of you know pure motives or something like that. 
this is true, but what most fundamentally he says is that you, if you, I mean, the, the famous line, if he who even looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery in his heart, right? So he gives us a further condemnation um, because now it's not simply our extrinsic, external obedience to the law that's being judged. In some ways it never was. Um, but now it's clearly revealed in Christ the dispositions of our heart, those habits that we've been talking about yeah. that are judged. Um, and so when we hear that an old law has passed away and the new law has come into its place, the last thing we should be imagining is somehow this kind of license to not care anymore. And the first thing we should be imagining is in what way has it been deepened? Yeah. In what way has the law now moved to the heart? Mm -hmm. Right. So if before I could at least plausibly give my 10% without considering, um, you know, it as a gift back to God, or if I could do it by rote, or if I could do it, um, simply with a kind of legalistic, uh, you know, passion, <laughs> uh, now I have to give in spirit. I have to give actively. And, and Paul talks about this in Corinthians where he, he says, well, I'll tell you what he says. <laughs> no, you tell me what he says. He says, I thought it necessary to encourage the brothers to go ahead to you and arrange in advance for your promised gift so that in this way it might be ready as a bountiful gift and not as an exaction. So I don't yeah. think he, he's necessarily talking about a, a tithe here, yeah. you know, but but I do think this is really helpful in terms of um, kind of forced giving, as it were, is that within the, the understanding of the tithe being fulfilled in the in the new law is that it really does need to be something that we do it's forced but we do lovingly we do with joy and and i think this is kind of an interesting idea because a lot of times we think about a gift as being something that's purely free yeah you know that doesn't demand anything of us that nobody's demanding it from us right. that we're just giving it um you know with without um, without any, um, you know, anybody we, telling we just us just wake that up we have and to. we're inspired and we think, what should I give today? Moved by the winds yeah. of the day. Yeah, I think yeah. it's actually a missing the obligatory gift. Well, I think it is something with a little ref reflection. We'll realize we all experience um, is kind of a missing category of modernity because yeah. we put gift in the same place that we've put church in the same place that we put politics, right? Which is that it it doesn't have any kind of real demand. Yeah. On our hearts. That's right. But uh, Middle Ages, but obviously just simply in the scripture is, is full of this. There is, yeah. what is the tithe? Well, fundamentally, the tithe is trying to attain what is now a precept of the church, which is that we are obligated to provide for the material needs of the church and her ministers. Yeah. Okay. That is the obligation, mm -hmm. right? But the mode in which we fulfill that obligation, as Paul points out, is cheerful. Yeah. It, it must be cheerful. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and it's awesome, right? So this is, this is obviously we're getting to this point. So I'll just go for it. Because <laughs> the, the tithe is in current law. Stop me if I'm wrong here. Yep. It's not demanded. The church is not asking us to give 10% of either field or income. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Now, again, we have to understand this as a, a uh, positive development in which the law is further written on our hearts, because this is a new way of looking at things, even for the church. Whereas previously in the middle ages, there was quite simply yeah. a tithe. We'll read all this. We'll show our receipts okay. to y'all. Yeah. But what I love about 
the church is that it is not simply a casting away of the old law because what the church understands is that movement from the old to the new, from law to grace, is still present within every human person. Yeah, that's right. It's part of our, I mean, you think about a child, right? You can have this idea of the freedom of the new law, the fact that Christ for freedom set us free, and when your child hits his brother or sister, you can say, um, look, I'm not going to coerce you, I'm not going to punish you, I'm not going to do anything, because you are made for freedom. You should have that law written on your heart. Like, no, this is all ridiculous. How could you possibly do that? You have to apply the old law in some sense because where there is sin, the, the law is still there. Mm-hmm. And so and so when you see that in your child, you, you actually become a kind of Old Testament figure to the child, a kind of yeah. David, uh, where you say, yeah, no, I'm going to actually separate you and I'm going to put you in this room and close the door maybe, or maybe you're getting a spanking, controversial, I presume. But you are going to undergo law because you are being formed for freedom. That's right. So a lot of people, like a lot of Protestants in particular, look at Catholicism and say it's so legalistic. It's just about the rules and whatever, whatever. But the thing is that Catholicism really realizes, takes seriously this fact that when Christ says, you know, like the the law is always going to be with you, bro. It's like, I've come here to fulfill it, not a a dot nor tittle, you know, will pass away from it is what he says, right? So the idea is that it has passed away in particularized form for the Israelites. Why did God create the particular laws that he did? It's because they were communicable and understandable to a particular people. Now it's our job to do that same thing. It's the job of the church Mm -hmm. to do that same thing for the peoples of the world. It's our job as fathers to do that for our sons, you know, and your daughter. And yeah, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you in the future. Uh, yeah, and and by keeping something like tithing, yeah. um, what it does is it occasions that growth. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Paul often uses the metaphor of milk and meat. Mm-hmm. That some churches that he writes to are only ready for spiritual milk, and yeah. others are ready for spiritual meat. There's an understanding of the, ch- of the churches as children growing. Mm-hmm. And the point is that when you give like, a law like tithing, it's precisely so that it can be fulfilled in grace, in the freedom of gift, right? The church believes in the freedom Christ brings so much that we're willing to risk the maintenance of law precisely for its self-transcendence, right? Because we really do believe in the efficacy of the sacraments of the graces to turn what is at first legalistic, what is at first pedagogical, into what is spiritual, into what is... um, yeah, in, into what is spiritual. So that dynamic, mm-hmm. I think, relates to tithing in that one of the reasons to consider why the church kept tithing is not because this is like a legalistic hang-up from the past, but precisely so that her people could undergo this dynamic growth from the law into grace in regards to tithing, that you could go from you know, just giving your 10% of your produce to um, cheerfully offering up what you have back to God. And this was understood by the medievals. I mean, we're just talking about the medievals, I suppose, at this point. (laughs) But I was thinking about this because I was thinking about the the mystery cycle, the mystery plays, you know, where probably most of the medievals in one way or another heard some version of the Cain and Abel story. and they received a sort of education on their own tithing practices. Um, and, 
Cain has this argument where he says, you know, it would hinder and do me grief if I gave God what was better and kept what was worse. Mm. So he's talking about not just tithes, but the first fruits. So mm -hmm. what's best in his, in his sacrifice. Um, and Abel is saying, no, because all of it is a gift from God, right? Then it behooves us to give what is best to God. We, we learn about the reality of the cosmos when we give up um, in a regular way. Uh, ten percent of what we own. Well, the first fruits of their of their flocks. So, it seems like y there's a certain bravery in the tithe, in that it really yeah. believes that there can be um, freedom in Christ. It really believes that this can move into an interior disposition of the heart. Now, this is also a great vulnerability to um, things collapsing. Yeah, because I think you know, in real ways, like the obligation to take care of the church is just a natural outgrowth of being a Christian, yeah. right? So there is something sacramental in a tithe insofar yeah. as it reveals something about what it's affecting as well. It's like the fact that we're giving to our church, yeah. which enables it to exist, yep. says something about the fact that we are people of worship. Yeah. You know, that this is naturally what we do, but we're affecting and creating a space for worship or sustaining a place for worship yeah. is just revealing a the fact that we are people of worship, you yeah. know? So, yeah. so there's something really important about the continuation of us giving that's beyond even the mere maintenance of the material maintenance of what we're doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so the fact that some churches have endowments and stuff is a real shame and a fraud and missing the point because the point is not just to have the building right. it's to have the people right you know i yeah. mean what is the church other than the people the baptized yeah. that are collecting for worship yeah. and that are truly being reformed into a greater image of christ yeah, yeah. putting on christ well clunky, doesn't it you know? doesn't seem that 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 Okay, so we have the old log of 10% of your, we could say income now, but it's produce then. Uh, and then we have this new canonical situation in which we're basically told, look, you got to provide for the material goods of your church, but we're not going to give you a definite. Uh, yeah, should, let me just read that. Sure, okay, yeah, so yeah. this is canon 222. Here's what we're under right now. Here's the yoke, Christians. Yeah, this is it. The Christian faithful are obliged to assist with the needs of the church so that the church has what it what is necessary for divine worship, for the works of the apostolate and of charity, and for the decent support of ministers. It goes on in the next paragraph, paragraph two, in all churches and oratories, which are in fact habitually open to the Christian faithful, the local ordinary can order the taking up of a special collection for specific parochial, diocesan, national, or universal projects. This collection must be diligently sent afterwards to the diocesan curia. So that's not the next paragraph. Sorry, that was Canon 1266. I apologize. So the obligation to take care of divine worship, works of the apostle of charity, yeah. um, and the next paragraph says social justice. It's just a general blanket term of you are obligated. Gotcha. What 1266 says is that the bishop could demand this as a tax still. That's gotcha. still within his right. It's still within gotcha. his power. It could be a particular yeah. um, command uh, from a particular bishop to his people. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't exist universally anymore. Yep. Yep. Um, and that's different from what was in Trent. 
I can read that later. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, go ahead and read it now. Okay. Because so, I want to get the distinction between what, what we're doing in the Middle Ages and what we're doing yeah. now, what obligations we're under. So this needs to be reiterated at, at Trent. Um, this is coming from uh, chapter, the 25th session and, tw- and chapter 12 of it. Um, it's long, but it's a goodie. Okay, quote. Those are not to be born who, by various artifices, endeavor to withhold the tithes accruing to the churches, nor those who rashly take possession of and apply to their own use the tithes which have been paid by others, whereas the payment of tithes is due to God, and they who refuse to pay them or hinder those who give them usurp the property of another. Wherefore, the Holy Synod enjoins on all of whatsoever rank and condition they be, to whom it belongs to pay tithes, that they henceforth pay in full the tithes to which they are bound in law, to the cathedral church, or to whatsoever other churches or persons they are lawfully due. And they who either withhold them or hinder them from being paid shall be excommunicated. Yeah, okay, that's that's awesome. And, and this was also repeated as late as the... Um, Council of the Synod of Baltimore, yeah. you know, just a couple hundred years ago yeah. in America. So yeah. th- these are active laws that are now have gone out the door, but were over yeah. the church for centuries. You know? Yeah. And so I think what I want to argue for is for a uh, continuity. Yeah. Between what obligations we're under now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what obligations we're under now and what obligations we were under then. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is not like two distinct churches. This is the church mm-hmm. and reading the signs of the time they gave us the law they gave us. But I think we're obligated to say that when we look at the law now, we have to read it in the light of what was before. Mm-hmm. Right? We have to read it in the light of the tradition. Um, and so one of the things that seems obviously good in that law that you just read in Trent and really just in tithing as understood as that, as, as that 10% is the regularity with which it comes. Mm-hmm. So what's different about tithing from something like almsgiving um, or just making a gift is that it more properly teaches us that we belong to a body. Indeed, the punishment that you described for failing to give the tithe is what? Excommunication, right? Mm-hmm. And as in all excommunication, but this I think has a particular, particularly rings true, that if I, as a member of a body, am not giving of myself unto the whole, unto mm-hmm. the body as a whole, then excommunication is hardly a punishment so much as simply a description of what I'm doing. That's right. right. Yeah. A, a foot that does not pass blood on, but attempts <laughs> to cull blood to itself is simply a, a mangy foot. And then it falls off. I'd imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Check me on that. <laughs> I mean, St. Thomas talks about this just generally in the terms yeah. of friendship, you know, where friendship he, he says is a competition of, of people outdoing one another yeah, in gifts yeah, yeah, at yeah. one point, you know? And does that mean that, you know, as we kind of said that the gift is totally free and therefore you don't have to give it back? He says, no, because the gift itself is like a sacramental bridge over which the relation develops. Yeah. You know, that's, that's your, kind of the mode through which you do begin to unite with one yeah, another. Yeah, yeah. And so to refuse that gift is actually to turn your back on friendship. And the same thing applies with the church. You know, the tithe yeah. is very interesting because it's, it's kind of a nondescript uh, gift, you what know, do you mean like it doesn't, it's one of those, you know, how money's a place where you always have yeah. to know what it's for. Not with tithing. You don't know exactly what you're giving sure. to. You just know that when you give to the church, when you give to the minister, 
it's for his upkeep. It's for his yeah. benefit. It's for him to enable, to keep doing what he's doing, right. namely bring Christ, bring grace to you, your life, your community. Yeah. And so being a Christian in your particular location means ensuring that Christ is coming sacramentally to you in the Eucharist, that the priest is able to forgive sins yeah. in the confessional, that marriages are continuing, that, that, that those dying might be able to have the grace that they need to push forward and die as Christ died. It's really a, it ensures that Jerusalem is coming down to earth, the heavenly Jerusalem is coming down to earth. And, but you do it as just kind of the, in, in, in a very general way. Like well, this yeah. is just that's life. That's what I mean. I mean, you the, know? The, 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 there's the like gen a weird trust that the you The generality mm -hmm. and the regularity of it, the kind mm -hmm. of, yeah, it's a trusting mm -hmm. gift, but it also has, it teaches us about our ontological state as Christians, right? Mm -hmm. Because there is a obligatory, we are the church. Yeah. Right? So it is obligatory in the sense that it belongs to us as Christians to materially provide for the church because without us, there simply is no church. <laughs> so we pass on what is given. And the regularity of the tithe, I think, teaches that. That mm. it's not a question of when you're feeling it. It's not a question of a sort of um, intentional, willed participation where you look at the church and then decide, yes, I think I will give to church as if you were two separate things. Yeah. But it's an expression, it's very regularity is expression of your being embedded in the church, of you making up the church in your person. And so the tithe, it, it's as if, like I said, it's, I said, a, a, as a, as a sort of member of the body passes on blood to, to the whole. Mm -hmm. But I think another way of thinking about it is as a mother gives milk to her child. Yeah. That's the best. Because, yeah. because on the one hand, it's this phenomenal position that everyone finds himself in where suddenly the, you realize that the clerical elevation, like the fact that priests are our fathers, that they're sort of over us, has to be understood at the same time as they are also the recipients of the tithe. They are who we are materially providing for. And so they're also our children in a certain respect, mm -hmm. right? So like, and this goes back to, you know, the old law where the Levites don't have any share of the land. Um, they're quite literally dependent on the production of others for their life. And so you, you couldn't withhold the tithe. It's effectively killing the priests. Um, but that's exactly the situation now, not necessarily given in strict terms of 10% of, of produce. But the situation is still one in which there is a gift demanded of us, right? It's a gift proper to our ontological status as members of the church. It is, and this idea of the obligatory gift, you can see it in the mother and the child, right? Like, is the mother freely giving milk to the child? Yes. Like the mother is deciding to do this mm -hmm. in some respect. However, mm -hmm. is it free in the sense that she woke up and thought, you know, it'd be a really nice thing to do for my kid today is, is feed him. <laughs> no, of course not. Right. So what she's engaged in is something very gracious, the obligatory gift. The demand is from the child. You must in justice mm -hmm. um, because why? Because you belong together, right? The yeah. mother and the child are in a relation. They are one body. And so it would be an injustice to sort of try to wrench that apart. That's really the situation that I see in tithing. And I think that's why there's something really beautiful and pedagogical about the regular maintenance of the church. So if you, if you look at tithing as a law, but then you sort of deduce what's its spirit, it seems like one of its spirit, yep. one, of its, one of its spiritual teachings mm -hmm. is the very regularity and normalcy of, of simply cutting off every time some part of 
your labor, of your produce, of your income, and without thinking almost giving it to the church. Yeah, normally right. I, I won't, normally the idea of doing something thoughtlessly is sort of, uh, not taboo, but it's sort of uh, alarming, right? Because it indicates roteness. Yep. But I'm trying to indicate a, not a roteness where, where there's some lack of intention, but a roteness whereby you simply give because it's who you are. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you th- I, I like the, the mother-baby analogy of giving milk, not only because it calls priests babies, uh, but also which really, is which is really important. Yeah. I hope you catch that out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, but really because there is, you know, when the baby cries, you know, mom responds. But even like the more in sync that they get, the baby stops crying. Mom just knows, you know, when when baby yeah. comes because it's that time, it's that season. You know, the the, yeah. the 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 actual the bodily progression happens so that they're so in sync with one another that it's actually they're uniting properly and totally and fully and part of the mother becomes part of the baby right you know so that you you do have that sort of uh, gift like sacramental like interconnectedness between the two and it's i mean just practically it's very freeing i mean yeah i think this is the reason like um you should give me some of the stats on how much people are actually giving to the church in this our post tie oh yeah freedom of the new law era but but one of the things that seems to be very freeing to me about just like giving a fixed amount on a regular schedule um, is that you don't have to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to sit there like mustering up the requisite passion to give any more than, than, you know, a mother has to like will through some, through some like love for her child to, to feed the child. It's just, it becomes, I mean, habitual, it becomes part of your life and it becomes something that you just do. And that's one, it's wonderful to be in that kind of relationship. I think, I mean, there's better men than me and I'm sure they might appreciate a sort of, I asked all both of them and they did (laughs) kind of appreciate it, but they said it's not, no matter. (laughs) Uh, all right. Depressing stats. Here we go. Catholics give 1.2% of their income to the church. Okay. Uh, Protestants are destroying us 2.6%. Oh man. But we're pretty lousy. Both of us. Yeah, we're not doing it. There's only one solution. Kill the Protestants. Kill the Protestants. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Or we could up our game a little bit. That's the second option. That's right. Plan B. <laughs> Almost 70% of Catholics who donate money, like the 70% that do, yeah. give between 2 and 5% of their income. So there's a substantial population that sure. doesn't. You kind of get the median <clears throat> around, you yeah. know, yeah, 3.5%, yeah, yeah. something like that, you know. So we... we we just got to understand that we are part of this family more. This is just like, just as we, you know, yeah. feed our kids, we got to, we got to take care of our church. Yeah. But there's something that I do think needs to be said. And that's that very few people trust the church with their money, like the institutional church. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's some validity to that. Sure. Um, but here's the thing. And I'll say this and it might sound naive at first and we can kind of walk back a little bit from that naivete. But what's happening in that relationship is that at first people were doing right. They were giving tithes. The church then was being corrupted and squandering those funds, giving, using it for horrible things, um, which we should not name. What, What happened in that relationship was that they were corrupting. But the response to corruption is not be corrupt yourself. Sure. It's to find a creative solution of redemption and salvation. 
You know, yeah. it has to be that. Yeah, no, I think that there's a way in which yes. tithing quickens reform. Because if our gift to the church is just considered as, as this optional, passionate thing that we do every now and then, mm -hmm. then we, whether we like it or not, develop a kind of extrinsic relationship to the church. So we're not really a part of the body in terms of our giving. Mm -hmm. We might be a part of the body. So if the church is doing something bad, we don't give. Mm -hmm. If it's doing something good, we like, we give to the church. Right? Fair weather fans. Yeah, we're sort of with, mm -hmm. withheld. Whereas the obligation to tithe, or the obligation at least to have that regular gift that just comes out of you mm -hmm. um that binds us to the very corrupt part of the church in a way that should be extremely uncomfortable and is extremely uncomfortable i mean the crudest way to put it is like you're using my money for that mm -hmm. but we should stay with that for a moment because in our sort of liberal American mindset, it's like, well, if we're not getting a good return on our investment, let's get out of there, yeah. right? And this is funny. Like when you're doing fundraising, you're trying to do any mm. kind of like, whenever I'm trying to ask people for money for various things we do in town, you have to like enter into the language of business, yeah. right? So you're like, okay, <laughs> I need to take your $200 and help this guy with his rent payment. But then you end up selling the guy like it's a return on an investment. Like if you give this guy this rent payment, then he's going to go – you know, he's going to be free to do this and then he's going to be this much better. And look at, look at the line as it goes up. And don't you want to be a part of that upgoing line? You, you started speaking this language. When Consider really the doing... philanthropic ROI. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think that that kind of language, it hurts the church and it confuses us because we um, consider our participation in it basically success-based. So we might have different measures of success and that's good. Like, we're not actually saying a return on investment, like, I'm getting money back. Mm -hmm. But we're just using that language because we have such a, a investment mentality mm -hmm. um, that we're looking for our return. Yeah. And that's that's good, right? We, we should <laughs> – being part of the church means longing for it to take over the entire world. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when it's not doing that because it's corrupting, that's horrible. Mm -hmm. But that um, – that – belonging to the church that's expressed in the regular giving of our worth, our labor, our mm -hmm. blood, um, means that we're there thick and thin. Yeah. And it should motivate us precisely to reform the church whenever she's corrupt because we can't do otherwise, because we can't simply walk away, because that tithe is coming. Yeah, You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm not saying there's not situations in which, you know, maybe it's it would be prudent and wise to simply withhold your regular... Uh, obligation that you give to the material provision of the church. Well, no, no, it's never okay to do that. Yeah. But to simply withhold the normal mode in which you do it and find some other way to do it. Yes. Right. But yeah. it is never okay to deny, to simply ignore the precept of the church. It's never okay to say, oh, my church is corrupt. My bishop's doing funky things. Um, my chancery is, is embezzling, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to wait till that's clean. Yep. And then, then I'm going to start, you know, because what does it do? It does the same old stuff. It habituates you to not giving. It, you know, it puts you in this position where you're disobeying a precept of the church and you might die long before there's ever any confirmation in your eyes that some mm -hmm. good is really going to be done with your money. And it lets you lie to yourself. I mean, this is what we do all the time. That's the it's, biggest thing, yeah. It's always yeah. like, yeah, 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 the church is so corrupt. But like, really? Have you done the math? Like, do you know the percentage of your money that's going to corruption vis-a-vis, -vis, like, the <laughs> works of the church and the maintenance of the priests? And the, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, yeah. uh, so it lets us lie to ourselves because we don't really want to give at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And there are always creative solutions to these things. And I, I like, you know, look, we've, we've lived through the last few years. Like, we know 
and obviously starting in 2000, whatever, we, we know how bad certain parts of the institutional church are. But how creative are we in trying to be part of its sanctification? I mean, one of the things that, I mean, everybody knows is that, you know, whosever money you take, you're kind of enslaved to them, right? You know, that's why the College of St. Joseph the Worker doesn't take government money, right? It's like, we, we just can't follow should Joe. Fly, should we flash you know? the logo? Yeah. <laughs> well, we can follow uh, Joe. Yeah. It's not Joe. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so... Can we do the I Latin mean, for that as our tagline? Yeah. <laughs> don't follow Joe. <laughs> Joe, uh, Joseph, non-Joe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Anyways, sorry. Uh, you know, so... I, what are certain things? And, you know, we've kind of been, you know, I won't go into this, but we've kind of been in that s situation before where, you know, um, you know, we pay our priests directly, just like give it to the individual priests. We know people that um, gave, just said, hey, you know, church, hand me your utility bills. I got these, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, these, these are really creative solutions, you know, yeah. that are still fulfilling the, pri the spirit of the law, yeah. which is ensuring that divine worship continues. You know, because right. every gift that you give generally to the church, there's some sort of diocesan tax on that. Right, right. You can say, I don't know what that's going for. You know, generally, I, I, I don't like like my bishop. I, you, know, those are, you know, those are things that we really have to check ourselves on. It's like, why are we saying those things? Yeah, like, yeah. What, what's the spirit behind it? Um, but if you're, if you're like genuinely concerned, if you yeah, have like if real like, cause to like be concerned. This man is actually t putting this money into Amazon. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> or Walmart, yeah. <laughs> then, um, yeah, then, then you, the, you have to find some other ways of being able to give and oblige, but you know, let's kind of hit a quick list, like of things that are and are not tithing, uh, sending my kids to Catholic school and paying tuition. Is that tithing? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think that could possibly count as tithing because you're you're exchanging something yeah, for it. it's yeah, not a yeah. gift no like, and I, yeah. i've done this before yeah. too it was yeah. it was this was a good admonishment to me because um i was paying a guy to help me with the project i didn't really need his help but i wanted he didn't have work and so i wanted him to have work and what i did is i said okay this will be our tithe this month mm -hmm. and i did it kind of unthinkingly but it started to eat at my conscience then i realized like okay yeah even if it's even if you wouldn't have otherwise do it, it done it you're still attempting to purchase this man's time and labor and, and get a result yeah this is this is only to the church this is in some ways to the church in terms of the does like trying to fulfill the desire of the church that everyone's employed yeah <laughs> or has ownership and work but it is it is not the desire of the church that you you know, get something done with money that belongs properly to God. That's right. And yeah. his ministers. And so yeah. I, was, I was well admonished in that. Yeah. Um, we shouldn't mistake our almsgiving and our tithing. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. these are these are different things. Yeah, that's right. So, like, if you... is, I mean, part of the problem is... Not the problem. I mean, it's what it is. The, the canon law today um, just gives us a general obligation to yeah. fulfill both, you know, alms and tithing. You yeah. know, but... Traditionally speaking, giving to uh, like a woman's center down the road, you know, that's not tithing. It's almsgiving, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, totally. which you're obliged to do. Um, you know, if anybody gives the new polity, we're thankful for that. But uh, that's alms. That's not tithing. If you give right? us a tithe, we will mail it right back. Yeah. You know, and that costs us to, postage. You need to cross out so the word tithe, <laughs> put in alms, and make sure you freaking give to your church. Yeah. <laughs> you sluggard. <laughs> you slug. Uh, yeah, it, man, it, it's such a it's such a tough a tough point. Um, 
to have corruption in the church. Mm-hmm. But I think as a general rule, the response to corruption can never be excommunication, <laughs> right? <laughs> it should be to remain in communion, right? Yeah, don't excommunicate yourself, right, is what exactly. you're saying. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. The, the response to other people's corruption shouldn't course be excommunication we don't don't (laughs) use that loving gift enough Uh, that's for sure but all this being said i think there are some things that make tithing and and i went and now i think it should be understood by people who have followed us this far that now when i say tithing i want it to be heard as not as that 10 percent of produce but as a regular habitual embodied giving to the church whereby you materially you provide for its material needs in such a way that you are taught about your own membership yeah. So that's sort of what I'm trying to not expand the notion of tithing, but just try to reveal about tithing mm-hmm. so that when we hear it, we can say, yes, we're under a law that doesn't specify, but there are things about this form of giving that are essential to it. Like it's not just like, it's not just like it's, it's, it's whatever I do. It's a specific form of giving. It, it's belonged to the Christian life from the beginning mm-hmm. uh, before there even was a, the word Christian. Um, and so we need to take it seriously now. We need to not just say, like, well, we're not, you know, responsible for that. But one of the things I think makes it really hard um, is that... <clears throat> we're giving him money and not... In we're kind. giving him money, yeah. So yeah. so I was doing a little research on this, and the... For pretty much up until 1850, and when England passed some, uh, some laws about... Uh, what did they call them? Got it written down here. <laughs> Um, the Tithe Act. Well, that was easy. <laughs> Since the Tithe, the tithe Act. Tithe Act of 1850? 1836. Oh, actually, okay. sorry. <clears throat> so, one of the things you saw in England was, and I, and this is typical of, of medieval Europe, is that tithes were paid in kind. And this meant that tithes were given out of the real world, right? Out of the abundance of nature mm-hmm. as it's ordered by man which meant that the very landscape of Christendom was affected by the tithe, right? It meant that there were fields for the tithe. There was a piece of architecture that we simply don't have that was on every landscape, and it was a tithe barn. And what a wonderful thing to have a tithe barn. All the students of the College of St. Joseph's Worker (laughs) were building tithe barns all across the nation, baby. That's the first thing we're building, yeah. (laughs) The, The tithe barn was... What it sounds like, a big barn for taking in the tithe, because if you're going to take it in, you had to uh, store it. And, you know, the tithes were used in different ways. Some of the tithes were sold at market to have money so that the church could give alms. I mean, this is one of the missions of the church, is that they're supposed to give alms so that the world knows that relief and mercy come from Christ through the presence of his minister. So when we give tithe, it's to, it's, I don't know, it's this funny thing. Like, sometimes this happens in town. Where, like, someone asks for money or someone needs something, and I'll give it to them. And then I'll have this moment where it's like, man, I really want you to know that the reason I'm giving it is not because I'm nice. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm, like, bitter and angry about it. I really wanted to buy ice cream. Whatever whatever it is. Like, that's the reality. I want you to know that it's precisely the law of God impinging upon my shoulders. It's like, taking the money out of my pocket. And I get I'm on my way moving from law to grace. Eventually, I'll just, you know throw coins forth it'll be like a you know meeting me will be like hitting a you know hitting the jackpot at a casino kind of thing um but not now so i want them to know it's christ right and this is the great value of the church having the task of almsgiving precisely as the uh, an institutional church mm-hmm. which is that you know when a man with a collar gives you the gift that it's from the church and that it's from christ yeah the pedagogy is there 
Whereas with me, especially in this world, where we're not presuming a shared love, we're not presuming Christendom, we're not presuming a duty to give alms. Mm-hmm. Like no one even asks for alms because mm-hmm. no one would believe them. Well, they don't know what the that, word means, or they don't know what the they word means. They should learn it. It could be very lucrative for them. I know, because if they yeah. ask me for alms, I, it would it would impinge upon my duty as a Christian. As it is, they they ask me as a capitalist, so they're always um, so beggars now are asking me and then trying to give me some kind of report on like the things they're gonna. They're giving me the ROI. <laughs> like, hey man, I just need three or four. That way I can go get you know five or six from my cousin, and that way I'll have. I'm like, dude, I don't care. Just ask me for alms, man. Yeah. Like, I'm not evaluating. I'm not like, oh, let's see. Doesn't look like I'm getting a good return. I'm gonna give to the other beggar. <laughs> He's, that boy's got results. Come on. Okay, this is a. I'm getting. I'm getting too. Uh, too um, enthusiastic about things. Point is that part of the church's mission is the giving of alms, and when they give, it's so clearly from Christ, so it, it adds to its evangelical power in the world. Mm-hmm. The tithe produces a landscape. It produces tithe barns. It produces tithe fields. The tithe barns were awesome because they weren't just like uh, storages of food. They were also places where peasants, because usually they were attached to the commons where a lot of the tithes were being grown, mm-hmm. another thing that we destroyed. But before we destroyed them, the tithe barn was often used on rainy days and you know whenever the peasants kind of needed it for some customary reason they could do work within the tithe barn so it had a kind of precisely as belonging to the church it had a, a kind of association with common property yeah and i think it's kind of important to mention like when you did go through the you know henry the eighth closing the commons stealing lands from the church yeah that sort of thing is that he actually allowed for the lords over those newfound lands to receive the tithe. Oh, that Henry guy is just the worst. He was the he worst. He took the church yeah. land, mm-hmm. he gave it to private landlords, yep. but then instead of saying, okay, well, no more tithing you know, on the land because we're not priests, he kept the tithe. It just became part of the land itself was that the people that worked it gave the tithe. Only now they gave it to a private landlord. So sometimes we talk about like taking the land of the church and we, we think it just means like the physical property like well they moved to the monastery and now they're using it to do yams or whatever yeah <laughs> first of all yams don't grow well in england second of all no they were the peasants on the land were now giving that same tithe that they gave to god they're giving it to man and that actually was the beginning of a regularized state tax system was it really yeah because prior the king would have to go to the people even though he was as you mentioned an ordained minister of yeah. the church yeah his role was different yeah. so he couldn't ask for just regular like all right five percent from you every year you know he would have to go and say you know i gotta build this 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 road or i gotta fight this battle will will you give me the money that's right there was no nondescript taxes allowed it was a sin it was a sin and uh people would have to do kings would have to do serious penance if they did do that they just said hey 10 percent because i'm the man and so right there when you know henry throws off the church he inverts the order of the spiritual over the temporal. He creates a new spiritual, faux spiritual, that's just a temporal, and gives the tithe and renders it a tax. So there you go. As he said famously, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give unto God nothing, just more to Caesar. But he said it in Latin, so it sounded sweet, dude. Yeah. I think that, and then you saw... Uh, it makes sense. Like as this becomes less and less attached to reality and more and more a power play, you also see gradually everyone demanding payment, not in kind, but in money. Um, right. So yeah. pre- very similar actually to what you're suggesting the Pharisees did mm-hmm. to the Israelites. So they're excited to bring in the best of their produce. 
uh, and the Pharisees are saying, yeah, no, we belong to a growing centralized system of power where money really talks, baby. <laughs> and so you see this also in the Reformation until that 1836 now it becomes um, official. It's, it's um, all to be paid in cash. Moolah. Yeah. And so... Well, not officially by the church. It's just kind of the dumb oh, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or in England it yeah, was. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Today. Yeah. And so it's, it's replaced, you know, payments in kind are, are gradually replaced until now. It, uh, you know, I, I try to bring eggs to the, to the priest and he's like, doesn't see it as me doing my obligation. He thinks I'm just, you know, giving him some a, kind of yeah. egg charity on the side. Like nobody, I'm putting less in the basket for these eggs. <laughs> um, <laughs> So you've got uh, – why does this matter? <laughs> this matters because tithing is pedagogical. It is not simply just this um, you know, legalistic obligation. It teaches us something. Mm-hmm. And when you face nature – so when you're saying, I'm going to take 10% of my produce. I'm going to give you what I'm growing. right? It becomes so much easier, I think, because one of the undeniable things about – plants <laughs> is that they come in abundance yeah right is that you look at a, a harvest and you're struck by several things one is i can't eat all of this right two is it's going to go bad <laughs> right so right away the distribution of god becomes your desire to distribute right like you aren't when you're facing grain you're kind of ridiculous to start thinking about like amassment Right, which is part of the reason Jesus makes fun of people that think about amassment when they look at a harvest. And what what seems natural to the thing itself is to think distribution, to think, okay, these tomatoes are going to go bad. I better start giving them away so that we can, you know, enjoy them. Mm. Otherwise, you know, I can eat maybe twenty percent of these, and the rest are rotting on the vine. That sort of thing. Um, so you're taught by nature that God gives abundantly. And then you're encouraged by nature to give in return. Yeah. And so the tithe being in kind is a part of this. It was, I mean, it's why it's a part for the Israelites. It's why it, it just isn't really actually seen as some kind of like heavy weight. I mean, there's a lot of things the Israelites complain about, but to, to my understanding, they rarely complain about the tithe. <laughs> um, maybe that's not true because there's that thing in Malachi, which we should read. Oh, yeah. Where we should read that. Where yeah. not tithing for a little while. But that giving is is an imitation of the gift of God. Yeah. And when you make it all monetary, right, money doesn't have that same quality. You can theoretically get there, right, if you think about it and how it is somehow still, even today, related to your labor, related to the fruits of this earth, which is given to all, related to that abundance. It has this kind of uh, go-between, which is man and his cleverness. Yeah. And that go-between makes money look like something scarce. Well, you money doesn't grow on trees. I mean, that's the line, trees. right? You yeah. know, and so whenever you get money, it's well, usually when you get money, it's because you've exchanged something equal for it, right? Right. I mean, that's the whole idea of commutative justice, right? Is that you're comparing what you've done for what you're getting, and so you're doing some sort of, you know, equitable even exchange. Obviously, tomatoes don't work that way. Right. I mean, you know, it's just unbelievable how much tomatoes you get or green beans or whatever else, you know? make pasta sauce, baby. You just can't <laughs> pasta sauce for day for years, as a matter of fact, for years. For years. <laughs> <laughs> um, but money doesn't have that, that overabundance, and so it's easier to feel restricted um, by, yeah. by your giving in that way. Yeah. I also think that there's, you know, the predicament of not knowing... Uh, part of the reason that... Giving in this way is 
you're giving tithes monetarily is that is is such a gift of trust is yeah. because you never know what it's going to go for. Totally. Whereas with tomatoes, it's like you only got so many options. Yeah, you know. And this is really interesting, right? Because the church, um, so it fed the priests, it gave out the food mm-hmm. um, to the poor, uh, but it also would, like I said, sell things at market. Yeah. So, but th- but this is important because there has to be a a buyer mm-hmm. of the goods at market, and so there's a certain um, <laughs> built-in check on corrupt accumulation of power when you're relying on sales. Uh, now, it's not foolproof. Well, maybe I'll just give the example, which is in Ireland. Come on, Ireland. Tithe war, baby. Okay, so, so this <laughs> I is, want one of those. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to we're gonna wage a tithe war on you. Um, we're coming for your tithe, and then we're going to give it to the church. Um, so in Ireland, uh, pressed by the English, my people, um, and one of the ways they were oppressed was that they were forced to give uh, tithe to the national church set up by the English, um, the Church of Ireland. Now, being good Catholics, they were already providing for the material support uh, for the material needs of their priests. So this wasn't simply a I, we can redirect the tithe. Mm-hmm. This was a double thing. It's like we already got to keep our priests alive, and now we have to you know give ten percent of all our produce to to these people. Uh, and this created much consternation in the camps. Right there mm-hmm. was much. Uh, well, they were Irish, so they probably didn't talk about it, but they. They bubbled with rage for a while. And there were some skirmishes. There were some shooting. There were people died. Um, but largely the Catholic clergy said, don't give those fake tithes. All right. And one of the ways that they um, managed to get around violence is to actually let the Church of Ireland take their in-kind tithe but then have a unity of faith within the Catholics of the community that was so strong that when uh, it was through the cops. So when the cops took your tithe by force, because they didn't pay it, they came, they took 10 sheep. I had 10 goats, yeah, or sheep. They came and took one of them. Took one of them. But the Church of Ireland, especially because they have only a dubious sort of local presence, wanted money. So they've got to exchange it for, for, for for that dollar bill that Irish dollar bill green. Uh, of course it's green. In Ireland. <laughs> but there's such a unity of purpose within the Catholic laity inspired by their clergy at this point that no one buys it. So <laughs> they, they identify the cop coming with your sheep yeah. into the and market. They don't and buy like, from no. the cops. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so they actually managed to create this total. I mean, there's a line where I forget the monetary units, but the, the Protestants are complaining that it, it costs a shilling to collect a farthing, or maybe it's a farthing to collect a shilling, whichever. It costs so much to enforce the tithes that it was more than the tithes, is what they're, they're saying. Like that, that became a fundamental problem, and eventually they, they, they won, really. They, they no longer had to pay the tithe. Um, but that idea of in-kind, meaning that there's some constantly maintained connection to reality where, yeah, the church could exchange it for money, but then, then there, that involves the church on the ground as well. It's mm-hmm. like there has to be buyers for there to be a seller. Whereas, you're right, when it's, just in, when it's just in cash, when it's just monetary, then there is this sense that unlike the fruits of this earth, there's an indefinite amount of – an indefinite purpose mm-hmm. to money. And that doesn't just affect you in terms of your trust for the – uh, what they're going to do with it. But it also affects you and your ability to get rid of it. Because when you don't need a tomato, you just don't need a tomato. You're not sitting there like, oh, if only I could make more ketchup. You know, <laughs> you're, just, you're, just, you're, you're freely giving. In fact, you're obligated to give. And this is the thing. We, we talk about the obligatory gift as a missing 
uh, category. That modernity is missing this category. But we shouldn't confuse obligatory with somehow meaning like uh, forced or, or unnatural. Mm-hmm. Like it's precisely because when you have too many tomatoes, it'd be wasteful and obscene to simply like deny giving it to someone else that it becomes obligatory. So in freedom, there's the obligation because precisely because we're so obviously free and able to give, we're obligated to give. It's yeah. like the, you know, the excesses that we have belong to the poor, not to us. And that's yeah. true of tomatoes and it's true of money. But, but when we have simply cash and, and we're trying to, as faithful Catholics now imitate our forefathers and pay something regular, we also look at that money and say, well, it's possible for anything. So should I really give Mm. on this regular? Shouldn't I tone it down because maybe I'm going to need it for this or that? And it could be anything, unlike wheat, unlike sweet potatoes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so there's that. And then I think the other element that money brings to it is simply it it doesn't rot, as we mentioned. It's it's always there. Mm -hmm. And so, again, that works against our desire to tithe because we lose that motivating factor of of time, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, which simply says give now while you have a chance. We allow ourselves to be tricked mm-hmm. uh, and say, well, I will give later. Mm-hmm. I have some big gift coming, mm-hmm. saving up for you know retirement, and then I'm going to really give to the church. Mm-hmm. And so we allow ourselves to habituate, we habituate ourselves to non-giving so that when the time comes, we become a person who doesn't give, and then surprise, surprise, we don't actually give. <laughs> right? So that... So that what I'm saying is that the, the movement of all things in kind to money, and, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm being sort of like, there's not like a what should we do here, right? Because... Part of the movement of things from <laughs> in-kind tithing to, to monetary tithing actually both affected and was affected by the loss of property, the loss of land, the loss yes. of ownership. Like yeah. This is all part of the same uh, sort of Protestant spiel, which is that we, we take the common land, right? And then, of course, now tithes are paid with money because part of the taking the common land was also producing the, the alienated peasant community that are now only able to work in factories precisely because they don't have the means for their own survival uh, through the use of the commons um, through monastery lands so now of course you have to demand the tithe and money because how are they going to grow broccoli like they're not right and you do have another institution that's in a sense commanding a tithe and that is the state right. you know and so all of a sudden it's not only harder to you know get get goods to give to the church but because it's you're not in the realm of overabundance within growing. Yeah. You know, you're you're not growing and sharing. You're buying and selling to do that. But, you know, you just have to give more than what you were giving prior. You right. Know? So, Once again, we start yeah. with a simple question of tithing, and we end up with the necessity of a total revolution of land distribution. If we do not get it, then God will do it with fire. <laughs> happens every time. Every, you know what? We've counted. Every time we sit to talk about why is this thing that was so obvious in the past so hard to do now, we come upon the need for distribution of property to stop plugging up the veins of the body of Christ and enjoying blood clots as a way of life. Oh, my gosh. People. people. Give me a break, bro. All right. So there's tithing. Feeling pretty good about it? Anything else you want to mention? A few things. uh, Just kind of like practicals because that's what we do. Uh, Sometimes. You know, sometimes. We sometimes do that. Um, <coughs> if you're not tithing 10%, start. You know, I think that's a great kind of baseline. It's not a law of their, a church today. And realize that yeah. precisely, precisely because Christ frees you from the law, you can give 15% now. That's right. Hey. Yeah, there you go. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like bring back the joy of giving. Yeah. You know, I think that's part of it. Um, there's a lot of people that are like starting their homesteads or just growing stuff in their backyards. Put a basket together and bring that to your priest. Yeah. You know, I think that also makes you feel weird and thus Catholic. Sure. You know, if you do something that nobody else is really doing, yeah. you know, like the, the libs are, you know, given to their environmentally friendly 501c3s, you know, that's kind of like an equivalent of us, like giving money to the church in that yeah, way, yeah. but they're not bringing them apples. Yeah, that's right. You bring them apples, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's been happening a little bit here, which I'm sure it I is know, cool. I don't it know is, how the priests yeah. are doing with it. The thing is, uh, again, total revolution necessary, but yeah. Um, another practical thing is to just get regular, get scheduled. Mm -hmm. I don't mean like eat yogurt, that kind of get regular. I mean like, <laughs> kind of I do actually. Really? Esoterically. Okay, cool. But realize that the point here is to, to realize your membership within the body, right? So figure out a way to make it regular and, and, and not like this you know, big ordeal yeah. where you decide it all the time. Yeah, you know? that's right. You're not waiting till December, baby. Yeah. You're not counting up your tax right, break. Right, right, you right. Know? Yeah, don't do that. Mm -hmm. That's not quite giving. I mean, it's close. It's something like giving. Um, we still appreciate it, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's this association within uh, Protestantendom. Protestantendom. Yeah, you like that. Where, uh, yeah. where if you Can tithe, you just call that America? Sorry, what? No, keep going. In a way. Yeah. If you tithe, um, and, I sh and let's be clear, I'm ripping on the Prats today for no good reason. They I'm just bitter because they beat us in giving. Like that's, <laughs> that yeah, stinks. Right. Um, but one of the things they've got is this theology, and not all of them, just some of them, where like if you give, you're going to be rewarded, mm -hmm. which is very ironic, given that we got to get all the criticism of like, you uh, Catholics are, you know, you believe that you can, like, sell salvation or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but y'all are the ones that <laughs> actually do that stuff. Like, I don't know. It seems a little fishy, given that you have Joel Osteen and we've got Mother Teresa. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Even comparison. Totally. Yeah. Totally yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Prots everywhere, nodding sagaciously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he really captured us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but no, no. The point is that there is this, and it's not just Protestants. There's Catholics too that have this idea of the giving being miraculously associated with a return on the money. Mm. Have you heard this? I have heard this. Yeah. Did you get any of this? Oh in yeah. Your sort of. Yeah. Evangelical days. Yeah, there was definitely that. Yeah. Yeah. There was yeah. a church up in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, that said that explicitly, and when. Yeah, anyways, I won't tell the no, whole, whole story, but it, seeing it's a real thing. Yeah. Seeing testimonials of, like, mm -hmm. I gave and then uh, I had this financial windfall mm -hmm. that occurred later. Um, and while it is, of course, within the power of the Spirit to do what he wills and do precisely what you're saying, mm -hmm. you know, an extrinsic windfall on the basis of just a, a reward for you giving, I think that the ordinary means that we should understand this is that when we give in trust to the church, which is the means of our salvation, mm -hmm. Christ's body, we enter the requisite mode of receptivity for the reception of miracles, for the reception yeah. of the life of God. Right. It, 
it's I don't, I'm not trying to be sociological about it, where I say, like, well, this is a sort of necessary causal relationship, so I don't have to deal with God, like, miraculously intervening, because he can do what he wants. He's God. But at the same time, it's like th- there is a miraculous association with the tithe. So let's read Malachi real quick. Yeah. Turn to your Bibles with us, too. Uh, it's going to be in the Minor Prophets. So, yeah. shoot, yeah. where'd it go? Just found an old note. Did you find Malachi? Not yet. Um, all right, we'll, we'll make this a little interactive game. We've been thinking about making this more interactive. Uh, all those who have Bibles, we're going to try to find Malachi on one, two, three, go. Oh, I win, I found it. I have an Orthodox Bible. Oh, boy. It's all like weird order. Fake and... Bible. I'm just kidding. They haven't even like codified all this you know it's like how do they they just keep adding changing things. no i'm just kidding orthodox friends out there i love you okay so this is the but i have no idea where your books are it, in it, order. yeah <laughs> malachi chapter three verse uh six and going on um says return to me and i will return to you says the lord of hosts but you say how shall we return will man rob god yet you are robbing me but you say how are we robbing you in your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I will rebuke the locust for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so that I think is is really the biblical um, warrant for associating tithing with a kind of miraculous yeah. um, abundance coming from God, mm-hmm. or at least a, a sort of uh, supernatural protection of the abundance of nature, if, if you want to read it that way. Uh, and the Jews made a big deal about this, the rabbis, because you know you, you pair this line with, you shall not put your God to the test, mm-hmm. and then God is here saying, thereby put me to the test, <laughs> says the Lord God of hosts. And so they said, like this is how um, important the mitzvah Mitzvah, I'm not saying it right, uh, the command of tithing is, that mm. it is the one time where you may test the Lord. But the point is that, seems to me, the point is not that it's just this weird exception to testing God. The point is that when we're forbidden from testing God, it's because it shows a disposition of doubt, right? Like the devil to Jesus, turn, if you are the son of God, mm. right, turn mm-hmm. these stones into bread. So mm-hmm. he tests the Lord mm-hmm. because he wants to know if he is in fact the son of God. We who believe in the son of God and we who believe in God shouldn't do this. Like if you're really God, save my son, for instance, this is while understandable, uh, just pagan. Yeah. Doubtful. Mm-hmm. You're exchanging things. You're, you're just becoming, you're yeah. in the ideal situation for being, uh, for God being replaced with man when you have that disposition of heart. Well, here, you are allowed to put God to the test. And I think it's precisely because the tithe, that regular giving in trust to God's means of salvation, I'm going to provide for the way in which he comes to me as a, as a member of it, as belonging to it, right? That is the disposition in which you show belief in God. Yeah, that's exactly right. You're, you're there. You're in it. You're skin in the game. You're tithing, right? And so God can work. I mean, think about the fact that Jesus in the Gospels, he goes to towns where he can't perform miracles because of their lack of faith. Yeah. This is this is absolutely phenomenal, right? You know, 
and and what I'm saying is that what's true of the Son of God is true of is true of God in the Old Testament, right? That God does not just treat us like robots. He gives us freedom. And so he works with us to create in us the kinds of hearts that can receive the gifts he wants to give us. And tithing does produce the kind of heart that is ready to receive the miraculous abundance of God because it's that trust. That's what makes it so hard is that it's not the kind of giving where we can talk about results. It's not the type of giving where we can talk about success. It's the type of giving where we say, Lord, because you gave to me first, I give this offering to you. Do with it what you will. And so we're in the we're quite literally enacting in our tithe uh, the the receptivity towards God doing what He will. And what does God will to do? Well, He wills to do really good things for us. Uh, he He wishes. I mean, I, I sound I sound evangelical now, right? He <laughs> wants to perform miracles for us. He wants to do things in our lives. He wants to intervene. He wants to break through this desperate net of like neutral godless um economics and politics that we keep on throwing up as a shield um in front of him he wants to break through that and just be present to his saints um and i think the tithe can help with that and so there is something i'm trying to validate in the in the sort of um association of well if you tithe then you're going to receive these blessings and these miracles in your life um, but I just want to shy it away from this idea of an exchange, like a sort of magical formula of exchange in which you give X and you get Y, right? Yeah. Because you could tithe and God gives you the gift, gift of an early death, for instance. And, and that's cool. <laughs> so like, just stop, don't, don't put the, don't in the, in the book of Judith, you know, uh, it says, well, I won't go that far. Don't put specific laws on God. That's his job yeah. to you, not the other way around. Yep. Um, and say, well, if I give this, I'm going to get that. But however, tithing allows us to develop the kind of trust we need to receive the gifts that God wants to give us. And I think that's that's awesome. And I don't mean this to sound too corny or whatever, but... Um, we already crossed the corny line. Yeah, we did. Yeah. But, you know, Malachi is really... I mean, this is uh, one of the great passages that gets quoted at the beginning of the gospels right it's like i send my messenger before you you oh, know wow, yeah. right you know and that is what comes right before that passage that you just read like what is it that god is ultimately blessing us with because here's it is actually himself right why why do we give what's the point of tithing what we said is that it's to be able to create the space for divine worship yeah. and to ensure that it happens what is he promising happening there is that he's actually sending his messenger. Yeah. You know, what happens when we give, when we get the promise of Christ truly present in the tabernacle. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is, this is the ultimate gift. Now I, I, you know, I've seen it. I, I, I've lived it, you know, as well as just seeing that God does provide when we give because he cares about us because yeah. ultimately why do we even have a monetary relation? Why is it permissible in the church? Well, it's because it can occasion the life of virtue. We can talk about that more as we go on. But that's that's his goal. That's ultimately his goal is to get us to heaven, is, is to have that union together forever. Yeah. You know, the ultimate goal of, of giving is to have that union with him present eucharistically. That is that's the summation of, of where we we are in our life or yeah. what we are ought to be doing and and that is the gift if you if you give that's the promise yep. that he will truly come yeah. 
the monetary thing along the side, kind of the exchange aspects of it, there is something to that. And precisely because ultimately the goal is, you know, being able to set the occasion for virtue. But but there's something much better, better and that's himself. Yeah. So with that, we'll yeah. say, say go, goodbye. Go build, go build up the space for divine worship. Don't be scared of a powerful church. Um, build a bigger church. Build a better church. Build a more beautiful church. Love your priest more, you know? Yeah. These are all good taglines that we should have maybe worked out in a list beforehand. <laughs> okay, well, let uh, us know how it goes. Let us know if we missed anything, any difficulties you have with oh, tithing. We, can we say this? Can I say this at least? I, I, I'm i going to be a hypocrite and like go back on everything I said about responding to emails. I've gotten so many emails from you guys, and there are a lot of really beautiful notes, and I'm so grateful for them. I just have sucked at getting back to you. And I feel terrible about that. But if you send a note to just like the info at newpolity.com, somebody will. It might be me. Um, I just can't promise that anymore. And no, I'm sorry no. about that. Here's what we should do, Jake. Yeah. We should do a day that we carve out and we'll call it email answering day. <laughs> I'm in the same situation, but without shame because I'm, I was always in the situation. Uh, <laughs> And we should just see how, how many emails we can answer. And then you can instigate the new law. Okay, cool. Which is, which is you, you might not hear back from Jacob immediately. Yeah. <laughs> you were going strong for a while. I was for, for many months, but now I'm just sorry for all of you I've let down. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks so much for staying with us. And we will see you on our next episode. Goodbye. Later. Later.